Join me as we read our focal passage this morning found in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Truly, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Thank you. Please be seated. Let's take a look at the uh, title of our message today, and you're going to think it really quite kind of strange. Am I alive? Or am I dead? You might want to turn to the person next to you and kind of give them a quick squeeze on their arm to make sure they're living and breathing and alive. All right? There was a church that was so dead one time, they carried out 10 people before they found the dead person that died during the service. So I know that's not Emmanuel Baptist Church, but maybe you've been a part of a church like that or a group like that at one time. So am I alive or am I dead? That's... Probably, possibly, I believe, the most critical question that you could ever ask and answer. Am I alive or am I dead? Maybe thinking that's kind of a crazy and a very strange question to ask because I'm breathing. I'm moving. I am hearing you. I am seeing you. And, and, and I know I am Alive. So what do you mean, am I alive or am I dead? I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about spiritual life. Are you spiritually alive or are you spiritually dead? You must ask and then answer that very critical, most important question in your life and determine what your condition is and then seek to fulfill or to meet that condition so that you are not found dead but alive when Christ returns. We've been talking about for the past several Sundays about how important it is for us to be prepared when Christ returns. And we're still sort of on that theme a little bit so that, that we need to understand that when Christ does return, if we are dead, we are condemned already. But if we are alive, we are no longer condemned and we will then see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. In order to enter into the kingdom when he returns, you must be born again. That means you must be spiritually alive. Now, why is that a critical question for the church today? And the critical question of the day of the church, I think, is in regard to what is Christianity? Because Christianity has some incredible definitions and some unusual terms today about those who claim to be Christians, especially in this political process. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Simply because they say, I'm a Christian, doesn't necessarily make them a Christian. So what is a Christian. We saw uh, not 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 too long ago in some polls. I saw that there were uh, that there were about seven, maybe maybe almost eight out of ten Americans identify themselves as Christian today. Seventy to eighty percent identify themselves as Christians in the United States of America. That is astounding to me. That is, that astonish you. Seventy to eighty percent say identify themselves as a Christian. Of those, four out of ten say they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I find that interesting. They claim to be Christians, but they don't claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, where they personally place their faith and trust in him as their Savior and committed to his leadership and lordship in their lives, but they claim to be Christians. And 50% of those who claim to be Christians say that they are born again. 50% say they are born again. I think we have a crisis in the church in America today in regard to what it is and how we define 
Christianity. There was a a well-known guy who writes for Lifeway a lot, and I could tell you his name, but it doesn't really mean much to you. He says that the 75% are divided into three different categories. He said 25% consider them cultural Christians, themselves to be cultural Christians. What does that mean? That means a cultural Christian is one that, that, that because they live in America and we are a Christian nation, they say that they are Christians. I mean, they, they see Christmas and they see Easter and they may celebrate those things. They may understand some of those things. So 25 or the 75% who say they are Christians, 25 are cultural Christians. They, they're just Christians by and because of the culture in which they live. Another 25%, he says, are congregational Christians in that these are Christians who go to church on occasion. They may go on Easter. They may go on Christmas. They may go to a, um, a children's play. They may have grown up in Sunday school. Uh, they, they may have gone to vacation Bible school. They may have gone to a Christian school. And because of that, they are congregationally identified with a certain religion or a certain denomination. They have gone to church, and so they, they then claim themselves to be Christians. And then he says the final 25% are those who are committed Christians. These are the people where Christianity actually impacts the core of their being, and they're living out their faith. That strike you somewhat odd it does me that only 25 or the 79 percent of the christians who would who would claim themselves more than likely to be living out their faith in a relevant um anti-culture you know the way that christ commands and and asks and, and is biblically stated that they are seeking to live out the kind of lifestyle that would be a disciple's lifestyle only 25 percent today are actually living the disciples' life out of the 75 who claim to be Christians. Claiming to be Christian doesn't necessarily make one to be Christian, does it? I mean, what is a Christian? And once they did the survey, they didn't sort of press people and trying to figure out, you know, that you claim to be a Christian. Now, tell me what you believe and what you think is a Christian or what Christians think or how they believe and how they live. And it was, it was surprising to those who did the survey, realized in the survey that those who claim to be Christian, the majority part of them who claim to be Christians didn't live a different or very different lifestyle than those who didn't claim to be Christians. Culturally, their lifestyle was similar to that of the world that was anti-Christ. Uh, some in the, the survey, they found surprising that some believed that Jesus actually had sinned. Some that they sort of began to ask more details about Christianity, many of them believe that you can work your way into heaven by being good. Some didn't believe in a literal hell. And so we began to realize and we get to see that just because someone who calls themselves a Christian doesn't necessarily make one a Christian. I can stand in my garage with the door closed and the light off, and I would do it with the light off and the garage door closed. Because I'd be afraid that some of my neighbors might see me do this and think this was rather strange. And stand in my garage and say, I am a truck, I am a truck, I am a truck, I am a truck, I am a truck. And say it long enough and say it sincerely enough. And I open the garage door and go out and introduce everyone. Hi, I am Charles, I am a truck. And what would they say to me? You're crazy, lock him up. It's interesting to me how our culture today allows individuals to qualify or quantify or call themselves or identify themselves as a certain thing, and we are not to question that identity that they have chosen. And just because someone identifies himself as a Christian does not in and of itself make one a Christian. And Mark and I were talking about this in the office uh, earlier this week, and and, and he said, well, certainly Emmanuel doesn't have a problem with that. People who call themselves Christians and identify with the church and have been baptized into the members of the church. And, and, and my thought process in that question was this. There was a time a couple of months ago we had 6,000 members. 6,000. We voted um, 400 and something out recently. And we're going to vote another 400 and something out here in the next couple of months. Why would you do that? 
because these people, in my opinion, are not Christians. They have walked an aisle, they have signed a card, they've been dunked in our baptistry, and they've said a three-sentence prayer, and they've walked out the door, and their lives have never been transformed by the power of Christ. They show no evidence whatsoever of being a born-again Christ follower. And, and, I, and I commend to you, and I, I lay this out before you, it, it is an imperative that we, as we move into the next generation of the church, understand that there will be less and less people who identify themselves as Christian. It's going to happen to us older people. We're going to die off. And the younger culture is no longer identifying themselves much like our culture did, as a Christian culture. And those who do identify themselves as Christians will be more serious in their commitment to Christ. The younger generation is rising up, sees Christianity much different than my generation and the generation that precedes me. And we're going to see a decline in those in America who identify themselves with cultural or congregational Christianity. It's going to happen. Because they understand what Christianity is and what it means. And we as a church need to understand that Jesus is qualifying today what Christianity is. He has a man named Nicodemus who comes to him and he wants to know what it means to be a Christian in John 3, 1 through 12 today. What does it mean to be a Christian? He's interested. He's curious. He wants to know when he comes to Christ. And let's take a look at five things that we see in the the passage about what Jesus then speaks into Nicodemus' life, what he says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, first of all, has to reject his false religion. He must reject his false religion. Notice the text in verse 1, John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Just stop there for a minute and let that soak in. Here's a man gives us his name, Nicodemus, and it identifies him as a Pharisee. There were, to believe, maybe 6,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem at the time. And not just anyone could be a Pharisee. It took a lifetime of effort and work to become a Pharisee. He was chosen as a small boy, tutored into the scriptures, memorizing, working, this work ethic that is indescribable to us, even in comprehension, this effort that it took for him to rise to the position in the church of being a Pharisee. This was huge in their culture, in their generation. We think nothing of it today, but it was a gargantuan, huge, impossible task. Very few rose to this level. He was a religious Pharisee. He was not only a student of the law, but he himself was an expert of the law, and he was also an enforcer of the law. Notice it said he was a ruler. He had a, a, a position in the executive branch of the, of the government. He was a ruler of the Jews. He sat in government position, not only dictating law, governing law, enforcing law, and judging the law. This guy was gargantuan in the church. And Jesus is going to tell him simply this. He's going to basically say that even though you hold this incredible position and have this incredible ethic standard in your life of living perfect, you've got to release that and be born again. There are people in the church today who somehow think they can work or earn their way into heaven by being religious or by being ethical or by being moral or by being pious. And there are a lot of good people in the church today who are seeking to be pious. They're seeking to be moral. They're seeking to be righteous. But in all of their effort of being righteous, it's not enough. You've got to be born again. It's not found in and through religious practice. And there are many today that are practicing. I guarantee you there are tens of millions of mothers right now sitting in churches all across the nation, and they're giving them 10 ways to be a great mom. And they're going to take that list home, and they're going to try really, really hard to be a great mom. You know how the, you, you don't know the one, thing, the one thing that will help you be the greatest mom you can ever be for your children is to be born again just to be born again. If you're a born-again mother, you're going to be the best mother your children could possibly ever need. 
And he's saying to this man, all of this religious, ethical, moral standard that you have been enforcing others to live and living out in your own life isn't going to make it. You've got to be born again. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. What a coward. He came to him by night because obviously he was so well known that if he came to Jesus in the day and somebody saw him, he more than likely would get in trouble with the other people in the Sanhedrin. So he comes to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Notice that. We know that you are a teacher, but notice, come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He's saying to Jesus, we have studied you, we have watched you, we have observed you, and we recognize and we realize that you, Jesus, come from God, that what you do is from the power and the presence of God in your life. And Jesus is about to tell him, you can recognize the activity and the power of God in someone else's life and even feel the work or the activity of the Holy Spirit through that person's life and still be lost and in need to be born again. There are some people that think that because I can see God at work or I can feel him working in the lives of others, I must be saved. You're going to talk a minute about the wind and how we in Wichita don't know about the wind. You can't control the wind. When you walk outside, can you feel the wind's effort, uh, the wind's beating up against your face, blowing your hair, ladies? Right? You can feel the effect of the wind. And, and, and he's saying you can feel the effect of the Spirit of God working through someone else and see God working around you and yet not be born again. And there are many today sitting inside of a church service who are seeing the activity of God and witnessing the activity of God and even feeling the presence and the power of God working in other people's lives, and they are lost as a goose, and they need to be born again. Notice verse 9, although let's skip down there. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Talking about the new birth, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus virtually is telling him, hey dude, what I'm telling you is nothing new. <laughs> You're a scholar, a student of the Old Testament since you were a boy. You've been memorizing the scriptures. You've been studying them. You're a, you're a, a lawyer. You not only translate the scriptures and interpret the scriptures but you seek to live out the scriptures and you seek to enforce the scriptures you're an expert in the law you have studied the old testament what i'm telling you is nothing new it's also found in the scriptures that you've been studying but really what he's saying here is dude, you are an expert in the law and in spite of all the knowledge that you have about the bible the word of god you need to be born again there are a lot of people you may meet who can quote verse upon verse scripture upon scripture no theology and doctrine front and back, but the knowledge of the Word of God in and of itself is not sufficient to save one. You must be born again. And in my generation, a generation older, we weren't so much interested in the application of knowledge. We were interested in knowledge itself. And we have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but most of that knowledge that we have is not being applied into our daily lives, and we are not living out the truths of the Scriptures. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because that knowledge doesn't translate into application is because we're simply not born again. We know a lot about it. But we sure don't practice it. And the reason we don't practice it, I think, is because we're not born again. And he's saying to this man, you've got to reject this false religious life that you have built for yourself because that religion and that life that you have built in religion, upon religion, and through religion in and of itself is not sufficient. There are going to be people on the end of the times. They're going to stand before Jesus and they're going to say, but what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. A lot of religious activity, yet they do not have a personal relationship with Christ because the new life is not found in religion. Number two, Nicodemus had to not only reject his false religion, he had to reconcile a truth. And the truth that he's trying to reconcile here with Nicodemus is simply this. Dude, you've got to be born again. You have to be born again in order to be a Christian. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, trice, that's trying to tell you, you better pay attention, take notes, remember this, 
This is important stuff. Don't ignore what I'm about to tell you because this is, this is key. This is critical. This is important. Truly, truly, I say, I, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, I, God in the flesh, say to you, Nicodemus, and to us here, unless one is born again, that word unless is a double negative, unless you are born again, he, you, cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way you can see the kingdom of God is to be born again. And if you're not born again, you don't see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he he asks the question, well, must I enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus answers him in verse 5, and he says again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, he's about to talk about born of water and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God, and he's talking about the new birth, and we're going to come to that in just a minute in verse 5. But here he says that you must be born of the Spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. And in verse 7, he says again, do not marvel at what I say to you. You must, that word must is the condition that must be met before you can enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. That means you are not saved. That means you cannot claim to be a Christian. That is the truth he's trying to reconcile with this man who believes that he's going to be saved based upon his own works and his own ethics and his own standards, his own piosity and his own religious experience. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you've got to realize, Nicodemus, that the only way you're going to be saved from your sin is by being born again. There is is no other way. All roads do not lead to the same top of the mountain. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And the only way to come to this thing called the new birth, this miraculous, marvelous, indescribable, life-changing experience is through personal faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes and he breathes new life into you, and you are birthed spiritually, and you must be birthed spiritually by the Spirit of God before you can say, I'm a Christian, and to stand on that with confidence and know that you're going to see the kingdom of God when Christ returns. Number two is you need to reconcile the truth, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Number, th- number three, you've got to realize, you've got to realize your spiritual deadness. Jesus is saying to him, you've got to realize you are spiritually dead. Nicodemus, your problem is you're dead. You think you're alive, but you're dead. You're not alive. You're dead. Notice what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus then says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Anybody in here want to say, I'm old? Can I get any man? Are you old? I'm in denial still. How many of you in denial say, I am? That's all right. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Mothers, this is your Mother Day scriptures. You say, well, this is Mother's Day. Why are you preaching on this? Well, here it is right here. He wanted to know, can I enter to my mother's womb? And we know the answer to that. Are you crazy? How? You know, kind of like what Forrest Gump's mom would say, stupid is, the stupid does. This is just a dumb question. I'm trying to rationalize this thing. And, and he's being sort of obscure. He's, he's being a little bit eccentric. You mean i got to enter my mother's womb a second time? you got to be kidding. And Jesus said, truly, truly, there that is again. I, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, say to you, Nicodemus, and to those of us who are reading the Scriptures, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Keep in mind that this water baptism here is not water baptism after or post-conversion and is not a baptism of immersion. There are many who want us to believe that you got to be baptized in order to be saved, and that is not a qualification in the Scriptures. He is not talking about water baptism. I hope that in the, by the end of the month we'll come back to this verse and talk a little, bit more about, a little bit more about what this means. But this here is not about water baptism. It is about uh, the, the passage in Ezekiel 36, I believe it's 24 through 26, that, that Jesus, as he's talking, you've got to take it in context. He's talking to Nicodemus, who's a student of the Old Testament, who knows the verses of Scripture backwards and forwards, and he studied them his whole life. He knows them by, he can quote more Scripture than you have read by memory. 
And he's referencing to Nicodemus, Ezekiel 36, where he talks about the washing that comes from the Holy Spirit that washes us and gives us a new heart and a new mind and a new life. That is a regenerational work of the Holy Spirit that is simultaneous with conversion. That only happens when we place our faith and trust in Christ as a process of the new birth. The Holy Spirit comes in and he washes us white as snow. Old sins have gone. They have been wiped away and we become new creations and new creatures in Christ. That's the washing and the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual work. The Holy Spirit invades us in the process of our conversion, in this process of the new birth, and he washes us and he breathes into our dead bodies life. You were dead until the Spirit washed you white as snow and breathed life into you. It's like you were a corpse laying there and he walked up and he opened your mouth and he did resuscitation and and you became alive. Until then you were dead. You were lifeless. You thought you were living, but you were dead. It's kind of like that movie where he kept saying, I see dead people everywhere. I don't even remember the name of the movie. What's the name of that movie? Sixth Sense. It's kind of a sick movie anyway. Come to turn out, the guy was dead himself that was talking to the little boy. I, I think that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's sort of what, it, I mean, there are people walking around, don't even know they're dead. They think they're living. And they're putting it on commercials, trying to sell us that this is life. And it's secular, it's human, it's degenerate, it's dead, and it's not life. When you watch those commercials, look at it and see it for what it is. It's a dead life they're selling to us who are alive. Because life is not found in those things. It's found in Jesus through the Spirit. And he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I spent the weekend building a chicken coop or a chicken run with my son. Nothing like a father-son project. And... uh, Those hens are chickens. Why? They're born chickens. Can a chicken birth a lizard? No. Why not? That's a freak of nature. It doesn't happen. Chickens beget chickens, right? Humans beget humans. The only way to be To have spiritual life is to be born in the Spirit. If you're born human, you are lost. You are dead in your sin. Romans 5, 12 says what Jesus is saying here. That because of the sin of one man, we all became sinners. And because of his death, we all all are born dead. That, That beautiful baby, where are you, John? Are you out here? Where are you, John? Sorry about teasing you a while ago. Uh, we've been on a committee together. He's a good guy. As beautiful as that beautiful little fella you got and that beautiful little girl, you know, they're depraved and they're dead because they're sinners. As beautiful as our grandchildren are, I look at them and see their depravity. We're, we're reminded by that from time to time, aren't we, Mark, with the twins? They're more like their father than their mother. We wish they were more like their mother. More depravity than others. Anyway. Children are born sinners. And they're born dead. Until the Spirit of God breathes life into them, they are dead. Romans 3.23 said, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, the wage of sin is death. And he's trying to help Nicodemus understand, you're dead. That's why you can't have victory over sin. Nicodemus is, is, is perplexed. He's frustrated. He's angry because all of his effort and all of his piosity and all of his works and all of his religion and all that, he knows deep down inside there's something missing. And he can't get a handle on it. I can't overcome sin. Let me tell you, the only way to overcome sin is to be born again. 
And until then, you're dead. I don't know about you. In 38 years, I've been to plenty of funerals, and I've seen many people lying in a casket who were physically dead. There's no movement. There's no breath. There's no life. There's no nothing. They have been pronounced by a coroner that they are dead. Jesus is pronouncing here to Nicodemus the reason why you can't have victory over sin is because you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Come to terms with that. You need somebody outside of yourself to do for you what you cannot do independently and apart from God and his spirit. Notice number four, we need to recognize, he wants Nicodemus to recognize his limitations. And this is where the the rub comes for many of us. Notice verse eight, and we're gonna come back, I hope, to verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes. Can I get an amen to that? The wind blows where it wishes. Can you control the wind? Do you wish sometimes you could control the wind? I'm told while I read the history of Kansas that some women went crazy back in the prairie days and the older days because of the sound and the howling of the wind that they heard constantly they wouldn't quit. They just went nuts. Is that true? I, I, I think I read it somewhere. I don't know why the men didn't go nuts, but they said the ladies did. I think it's because most men are deaf. Amen, ladies? we just hard of hearing, right? It's called selective hearing. But the wind blows where it wishes. Let's move on before I get in deeper trouble. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying to him, you cannot save yourself, Nicodemus. No matter how hard you try, it is a work of the Spirit. I want to save myself. You can't do it. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. And the Spirit is something, he is someone, he's not something, he is someone you cannot control. He has a free will and he wills people to be saved. And somebody, well, I have a will. Yeah, you have a will. But you can't will yourself saved. You can't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be saved today on my own without God. It won't happen. The Holy Spirit has to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit has to convict you. The Holy Spirit has to convince you that Jesus is who he claimed that he was to help you see your depravity. The Holy Spirit has to regenerate you and to wash you clean and to give you the faith that you need to trust in Jesus. It's all a supernatural work of the Spirit. And we must recognize our limitations. You can't work your way into heaven. The Holy Spirit is our witness. He is the one who is our testifier before God that we are saved. Look at the scriptures. It says it very plainly. Unless you possess the Spirit, you're not saved. Basically, which means if you're not born again, you're not saved because the only way to get the Spirit is to be born again. And he comes and he goes. And you can't control it, Nicodemus. You know, I can imagine Nicodemus was a Baptist in his heart, before Baptists were even Baptists, because we sure like to control the work of the Holy Spirit. And this must have been frustrating to a man who had worked his entire life to get to a certain level spiritually, people recognizing him, himself believing him to be this, and now Jesus is tearing down his whole life and saying, you can't do it by yourself, dude. you got to trust the Spirit, and he, and he alone is the one who works this work in you and breathes new life into you and pushes you, pulls you out of the muck and the mire of sin and places you in the position of my grace and who saves you. It's a work of the Spirit, Nicodemus. And then lastly, he wanted Nicodemus to receive and believe in him. Notice verse 11, he says, truly, truly, here we go again, two words, pay attention. I, Jesus, say to you, Nicodemus, and all of us who read this scripture, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Here's where his will comes into effect. He was standing before Jesus, face to face, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and he was resisting, he was rejecting the testimony of Jesus. It's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm convinced Nicodemus was resisting the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit and the work in the Father of drawing him unto himself. And what Jesus is saying is, it's the Holy Spirit who will break your will to submit you to my will. Ever heard anybody say, I was broken? I resisted and I resisted and I resisted and then he broke me. How does that breaking happen? God breaks you. And then when he breaks you, what do you do? You humbly come to him for the saving grace that's necessary. But he was resisting at the time. How you balance man's free will and the spirit's free will and God and all, good luck. But I do know that he's resisting here. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Basically saying, I've, I've told you this activity, this work of the Holy Spirit is heavenly, it's, it's divine, it's godly. You don't believe that. If I tell you, other, you're not going to believe anything I tell you. Notice verse 18, he says, whatever belie- whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He's asking him to believe. You've got to receive my testimony that I am who I claim to be, and you've got to put your faith and trust and your confidence in me as your Savior and commit to my leadership over your life, and the Spirit will come in and give you new birth. There's a sad story that many think is a joke, but I think it's a sad story as we close about a church who, whose building caught on fire, and they were forced to look for another location, and the only place close to where they were meeting was a, um, a bar. Uh, they didn't use it on Sunday mornings. It was only used on the weekends at night. And so that was the only place they could meet in town. So they rented the bar on Sunday mornings. And on that first Sunday morning while they were, you know, to meet in the service, the, the worship team, Pastor Mark, came in and the worship pastor and the orchestra and the group. And there was a parrot that was on the perch there. And the guy said, this parrot cannot be moved. It must stay there the whole time. That's his perch, so don't move the parrot. So when the, the band and the worship guy came in, the, the parrot was overheard but saying, new band, new band, ah, ah, new band, new band. A couple of, two hours later, the pastor walks in, and the parrot sees the pastor, he said, ah, new bartender, new bartender, ah, new bartender. Then he starts seeing the church members come in. And as he sees them come in, he says, same old crowd, same old crowd, same old crowd. I told you it would be sad. Why is that sad? Because those of us who claim to be Christians are no different than the culture that we live in. I'm convinced you can't be born again and ever be the same. Did you know that divorce is higher in the church than it is outside of the church? Did you know that, that, that bigotry is greater in the church than it is outside of the church? Do you believe that, that we're watching the same movies in our homes as they're watching in their homes? We're buying into the same lifestyle that they're buying into. And, 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 and really, if you take a look at the church today that calls itself the Christian church, Christ church, there's really not a lot of difference. We have a consumer-driven church that is all about me and what I can get out of it and what's beneficial to me. It's not about serving, it's not about giving, and it's not about doing. 6% of the church tithes, 6% of the church that claims to be Christians give, give anything to God's work. And then we, we get together as pastoral staff, and how can we motivate these people to do the work of the kingdom? My answer is we need more people born again. And when we all become born again, you don't need to be motivated because the Spirit of God already dwells in you, and you will be motivated to serve and to give and to go and to become. And after 38 years, there's a part of me that's tired of begging people to grow in Christ. 
Because you can't grow unless you've been born again. And unless you've been born again, you're not interested in growth. My soul, if the Spirit of God resides in you, let him well up and let him run and rule your life. Stop living the mediocrity, mediocre life. There's no such thing in this Bible right here of what a Christian is. We've watered down our faith. And we've made it to be absolutely nothing but something we just spew out casually, flippantly, without any commitment at all. We had 6,000 members. Where are they? Emmanuel Baptist Church. Where are they? They're at home asleep today. I contend to you they were never awake. We got them to pray a little prayer and we dunked them in the baptistry and we went, we did great. Awesome church, yay! We didn't disciple anybody. Now, I guarantee you some of those were born again. And the reason why they didn't become fully devoted Christ followers is because we didn't do our job in discipling them. We didn't. It's like giving birth to a child and sitting on the street and say, grow yourself and just walk away. You'd never do that, would you, John? Tell your baby to feed themselves, clothe themselves, dress them. That little fella can't do nothing. He demands a lot of help. And part of the problem is the church. I get that. But the majority, larger part of them never were born again. If you're born again, you're going to want to sing out. Mark shouldn't have to try to motivate you to sing from your heart unto the Lord. I don't care what kind of instrument you play, you're not going to have an instrument in heaven. The only instrument you've got is your vocal cords. That's it. You won't have a horn or a guitar or a set of drums. It's just your voice. And if you don't practice worshiping here, you're going to have a miserable time up there. Well, God, I can't worship with my voice. i got to have an instrument. And i got to be playing or i got to be... No. doesn't work that way. So where are we, church, in our understanding of what it means to be born again and what it means to be a Christian and how we live out our faith. Are we any different than the world? I'm not sure what Nicodemus did after the end of this. We're not told. We're not. We're told later on that he really risked everything to, give, to get the, the body of Jesus and put it in his own tomb. I mean, he loved Jesus enough to be able to do that, but we're never told, did Nicodemus actually receive Christ or did he reject Christ? We have no idea. We have no way of determining that. There's no record of that. Only God knows. Only God knows. Well, what about you? You can either reject him or receive him. If you reject him, no matter what you claim, you're not a Christian. If you receive him, you'll be born again, and then you can claim what you are because you've been born into the kingdom. You're a part of the family, and you belong to him, and he belongs to you. And his resurrection power will fill your heart, cause you to rise up and live out the life that is far different than the world that we live in today. I believe that's the only hope we have in America. So as we close, the question back that we first ask, am I alive or am I dead? Only you can answer that. Are you alive or are you dead? Has God's Holy Spirit breathed Maybe one of the reasons why you can't, like, like, like Nicodemus, overcome sin and live the life and become what God has called you, because you've never been born again. You're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying, and it just isn't happening. Maybe you've never been born again. I, I can't answer that for you. But I see a lot of people trying really, really hard, but can't seem to live up to it. And I question and I wonder, are you born again? Because there's something that happens when the regenerational power and presence of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and gives you a new heart and a new mind and a new soul. And I'm not saying you're perfect, but I'm saying it should come naturally to you. It's not that hard. Or it shouldn't be that hard. Are you alive? Or are you dead? Let's pray. God, I don't know where and how 
you're moving in this place and how you're communicating to our lives. But I know you're here. I know you have spoken today through the words of Jesus, your son, and your presence is here because your Holy Spirit is here and, and he is freely, freely moving in our lives. We can't control the movement of your spirit, Lord. But we can feel its effect. And if there's anyone in here today who is sensing a stirring in their spirit, whether they're a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a student of the Bible, no matter what they've done or where they've been, if they've not been born again today, I pray like Nicodemus they would see that their religion will not save them. They need to be reborn. They can't save themselves. They're dead in their trespasses and sin without the new birth and the new life of the Holy Spirit. And that today they would receive you and believe in you. God, for those of us who will leave today and we will resist like Nicodemus, I pray that you would not allow us to be comfortable in our complacency, in our stale Christianity, but that you would continue to convict and convince us of our need to be born again, that your spirit would pursue us relentlessly. Don't give up on us, Lord, but continue to pursue us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I ask this morning where you are in the asking and the answering of that question, are you alive or are you dead? What are you going to do about it? I didn't ask how long you've been calling yourself a Christian or what position you hold in the church or the effort of the work that you've done or how pious your life may be. Do you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord and that you when he returns, will be welcomed into his kingdom. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing an invitation to him. Our pastor will be here and we'll be glad to receive you whatever decision that God's placed upon your heart. To personally trust Jesus today and to be born again, to say, you know, I've been born again, but I've never publicly followed Christ in baptism. Will you come? Maybe to place your life in service of this church and join this church and say, I want to serve him here. Or maybe just come and kneel at the altar and say, Lord, Breathe a fresh wind and a fresh fire into my dead soul. Into your church. Into my life. I wrote on Facebook this week, we need more than anything a fresh awakening of the Holy Spirit of God in this nation as we turn to God and not man to solve our problems. Let's do that today. Let's turn to him. Morning. Welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Janelle Manuel, and I'm the early child director here. Today, we have a very special dedication going on. This is our parent-child dedication. 
This is a special time for parents when they get to present their child before you, their church family, and before God. And they are committing to raise them in a godly home according to the Bible and praying for them that they will accept Christ at a young age and that they will follow Christ the rest of their life. Today, we have Christopher Allen Latall. He was born December 30th, 2015. His parents are Jonathan and Adrian Latall. Grandparents are Randy and Patty Latall and Steve and Mindy Zider. The verse that they have chosen for him is Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people. All right. All right, to the parents, will you commit to seek to live in such a way that your child will witness in you a consistent but not perfect? There we go. Consistent but not perfect. Pattern of the Christian life which will serve for him as an incentive to live for Jesus Christ. Will you commit to teach your child about his need to accept Christ as Savior and Lord? And will you, in love, put the spiritual and moral welfare of your child above all selfish and personal considerations, knowing that you are accountable to God? And will you strive to pray for your child that God might be glorified in and through his life now and for all eternity? We will. All right, congregation. All right, do you, as members of the church, promise to pray for these parents and join them in their teaching and training of this child, that they may be led in due time to trust Christ as as his Savior and then confess him in baptism and eventually become a part of the church family? Would you indicate your desire by saying, we do? And if you'd like to support them, let me invite you to stand with them in support of them as we join them in this effort. It takes a community to raise a child today. And um, he has an uphill battle because of his dad, primarily. (laughs) I got you back, didn't I? (laughs) Uh, Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these two beautiful people and for the lives that they have together. And when you brought them to each other, they fell in love with each other and they began a family. They had no idea that they would be standing here today in this place. They had an idea, but not really. It was all a a hope and a dream and an expectation, but now the reality is here. With already one in the nest, now they have two. And they're going to need you in these very difficult days. Our culture is fighting against them. Our world is also against them. And God, I pray that as you raise them up, you would give them the strength from you, Lord, to be able to be the parents that they need to be modeling Not a perfect example, but as close as possible what the grace, the mercy, and the love of Christ can do in a life that is transformed by your resurrection power. So God, rise up in them. Let them be these parents that they need to be. Thank you for this opportunity we have to dedicate this life to you. Use him for your glory, for you have a wonderful purpose and a wonderful plan already mapped out. And we pray that as he seeks you, he will find you, know you, and follow you with all of his heart as he fulfills those great things you have for him in his life. Thank you for giving life, for only you can give it, and only you can sustain it. And so our trust is completely in you as our God and Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congratulations.